At the turn of the century in Oswego, New York, tragedy struck the Token family. As whispers about a disturbing incident began to circulate, the family's response sent shockwaves throughout the community. Hey y'all, I'm Christina, and you're listening to History and Hearsay. Not sure why my hair is orange today, but uh, it's kind of a vibe, so we're going to go with it. Today's story takes place in October 1899 in Oswego, New York, where one of the wealthiest families in the area, the Token family, experienced the tragic loss of their 11-year-old daughter who passed away suddenly from appendicitis. Despite the fact that this family could afford all the best doctors, they were unable to save their sweet Virginia. Shocked and overwhelmed with grief, the Tokens placed Virginia's body in a hermetically sealed, which just means airtight, glass-topped coffin. They held the viewing in the library of the house and then afterwards moved the fairy tale coffin into her old bedroom until they could build a family mausoleum in a nearby cemetery. But as the months went by, people began to notice that Virginia was never moved and it appeared as though the family were continuing to hold nightly vigils in Virginia's room. This began to attract tabloid attention and gossip began spreading like wildfire. People started to demand an answer as for what the family was doing with their daughter's remains and why they had not yet laid her to rest. The tokens insisted they would simply pray by her side each night before bed. But many in the town began to believe that this family just couldn't let go and they needed to be forced to lay Virginia to rest. Now, while some of this is obviously strange at any time period, it wouldn't have been quite as strange, at least not at first in the Victorian era. The Victorian era was a time of medical advances, but in many ways, people were still in the dark. In fact, people really had a good reason to fear that their final resting place might not be very peaceful. It was actually really difficult for medical professionals to procure bodies to study, and so grave robbers were a real concern for most families. And I would only assume that this was probably an even bigger risk in areas where wealthy families were known to bury their loved ones since people used to be buried with valuable items. Additionally, because medical conditions weren't as well understood, a doctor might mistakenly declare someone dead in cases where the person was often just in a coma. Now, I have to say... (laughs) I can imagine it It would be hard to let go if you were like in such shock and grief that your child had just died, but you also knew stories of other people who had been buried alive and the doctors were wrong and they actually weren't dead. So that kind of puts an entirely new spin on the not letting go thing. To combat grave robbers and premature burial due to lack of medical understandings, the Victorians put a few safeguards in place. Some families would bury their loved one with a rope in their hand that was attached to a bell outside the grave. So if the person were to suddenly wake up when they're buried, they could just ring the bell signaling their need for help. Other burial options included bricking over a grave, covering it with a protective grate, or purchasing a coffin with a series of tubes and mirrors to allow the grave diggers to peer inside for movement. I know that prior to the Civil War, there was actually a custom where someone would sit up with the body for three days to make sure the person was dead before burial. In 1939, when a new type of camera was invented, some people began to take family photos. However, the cost was still really prohibitive for a lot of families. And so the average family would only be able to afford to take photographs at like a big life event, such as the death of a loved one. And thus the custom of taking a photograph with the loved one after death became a popular trend. The photograph gave the family a lasting visual reminder of their loved ones. 
I don't know. When I first heard this, I thought, that is so creepy and weird. But that's coming from my perspective uh, where, I, you know, we live in a time when we have tons of photographs and videos of people we love. And so when they pass on, we have all of that as memories. I can't imagine not having even one photo of someone that you're really close to and having them pass away. So I kind of like when I put myself in their shoes, I, I kind of get it as creepy as it sounds. Death photography continued throughout the Victorian era and it was especially common to photograph children since they had the highest mortality rates. In addition to photography, some families also created mementos using a loved one's hair or they artfully arranged the loved one's hair in shadow boxes. They might would uh, entwine them in wreaths or things that are made with fabric corsages and particularly they like to do jewelry with these pieces. Even even though women were not really supposed to be wearing jewelry when they were in deep mourning other than jet black gemstones, often they would just have the jewelry women toe and then wear it once they were out of that initial mourning stage. Queen Victoria, who set many of the rules and customs for mourning after the death of her husband, Prince Albert, was known to wear a locket that contained a picture of Prince Albert and a lock of his hair. This may seem like an unusual practice, but actually this is currently still a custom that's pretty popular where people will make cremation jewelry and instead of hair they just use a portion of their loved one's ashes and they just wear it in their memory. Now this is another one that when I first heard about it a few years ago I thought was really strange until I kind of thought about it in the perspective of someone who lost somebody who was really close to them and you know just the idea of having like a moonstone or something with someone you're really close to is ashes in there. This is another one that I guess I could see people finding comforting. And when you think of it that way, it does seem a lot less creepy. Before the Victorian era, most people had their burial plots near their homes or right outside of churches, like in the churchyard. But over time, people began to have public cemeteries and the desire to memorialize and grandly mark a grave became fashion. While grave markers had been more simplistic before, during the Victorian era, they became much more elaborate with things like the private mausoleum. Now today we still see some large cemetery monuments, although most people have toned it down and it's a lot more simple and personal, which my guess is that's probably mostly due to cost and space. Queen Victoria was most notably known as the second longest reigning monarch in England's history, which was also known for her deep love for her husband, Prince Albert, and the 40 years of mourning that she spent following his death. Queen Victoria was very public, about her mourning and the practices that she put into place influenced many nations, creating a shift in funeral customs and how grief and mourning were expressed. All the way until her death, it was pretty unusual to see her in anything other than black. Her example led to the population copying her style of dress and certain expectations were set in place for the general public. Mourning clothes were considered an outward expression of a person's inner feelings and society rules about mourning, specifically for women in deep mourning and the clothing they were to wear was that they were to wear all deep black, non-reflective, and they were to wear minimal or no jewelry. Additionally, widows were expected to wear a black silk weeping veil or a widow's cap. And after a 
specified time. Widows were then able to move into half mourning where colors like gray and lavender were permitted with minimal jewelry. Men simply wore black suits with black gloves, hat bands, and cravats. Children were not expected to wear mourning clothes, but in wealthy families, servants were even actually expected to wear mourning clothes. In addition to wearing only black during deep mourning, a widow would not be allowed to go out to society except to attend church. Societal rules for men were a lot less rigorous than they were for women, but that was mainly because men were expected to remarry relatively quickly. Basically, if you were mourning for your parents, it could be a year all the way down to if you're only mourning for cousins, it was only like a month. And while there were set rules on how long you must outwardly mourn, there were no set end dates. And Queen Victoria was an excellent example of this. She mourned Prince Albert for the remainder of her days. In the 1890s, grief was incredibly common due to not only the Civil War, but also because child mortality was incredibly high. Grief was public, but the funerals were personal and reserved for family only. Since society was still mourning everyone who had passed in the war, the public acknowledged that grief was a long process. In the Victorian era, there was no hurry to end a period of grief. People took the time they needed and those around them respected the necessity of mourning. During this time, death was not compartmentalized. It was everywhere and a very common open experience. The funeral itself was supposed to be a quiet and sacred religious service. In Christian burial, the need for funeral was seen as a necessity for the deceased to receive their last rites. The services were short, just a pastor and, if the estate could afford it, a small musical accompaniment. At this time in American history, grief was not a sign of weakness, but a natural part of living. It was understood that grief lasted for months and maybe even a year or more. And this was accepted in society. Over the course of the next century, the view on funerals and grief changed. Grief was more of a private issue, but the funerals became the public part. And that's still something that you guys would be familiar with today is that everyone who knew the person who passed away would be there to not only show their respects for the person who had passed on, but also to be there to support the family. And during this time, they started to put obituaries in newspapers, and this was seen as a class symbol. The Victorians had no illusions about death. Even if you survived childhood, many adults didn't live past 50 years old. In this era, death was really certain, and people prized an elaborate funeral service. Because of this, many families saved for years to pay for a funeral service. And in fact, it was actually common for women to make their own funeral clothes and include them with the clothes that they had made for their wedding. Today, we shy away from talking about or even thinking about death. And in reality, we can learn something about this from the Victorians. It's okay to talk about and plan for death. The Victorians didn't focus on death. It wasn't some kind of weird, morbid fascination or anything, but they just accepted it as a reality and planned for it. While their methods seem strange to us today, the Victorians did understand the value of celebrating a loved one's life and honoring their memory. We could probably really benefit from more openness, less fear, and a willingness to have these important conversations with our family when it comes to death. This is your PSA to get life insurance and maybe even a will if you have children. Even if you're not the primary breadwinner in your family, having enough life insurance to at least cover the burial and to help with childcare expenses, this really does take a burden off your family. It's one last thing they have to worry about while they're already grieving. Nobody likes to talk about it, but death is a reality and it doesn't help things to just ignore it. While people in the Victorian era didn't shy away from talking about death, superstitions surrounding 
death were very prevalent. People believed that the deceased spirit might linger or bad luck could befall them. So this led to a lot of customs, such as Victorians carried their deceased out of the home feet first, so they couldn't look back and call someone else to come with them. Curtains were closed and mirrors were covered until after the funeral, so that the deceased's image wouldn't get trapped in a looking glass. And it was even thought that you might be next if you saw yourself in a mirror at the house where someone had recently died. To prevent bad luck, all clocks were stopped at the time of death, and Victorian families would even turn family photographs face down to protect family and friends from possession by the spirit of the dead. But I don't think it took superstition for people to be freaked out by the fact that nearly a year after her death, the Tukins had still not buried Virginia's remains. Morbid curiosity took over and it became a tabloid story with all kinds of wild and made up stories being spread all around by the townspeople. In reality though, all the family ever admitted to was changing the flower on her coffin and praying daily at Virginia's side. Eventually, the authorities intervened, although at first they didn't really know what to do or if they could really even do anything because no actual rules were on the books for this particular situation. I guess it had never really come up before. But after a while, authorities did step in and the Tukins put up a fight at first, but eventually they reluctantly complied. And about a year after her death, they finally placed Virginia in the new family mausoleum. Unfortunately, their newfound notoriety placed a further burden on the family when their youngest daughter, Rosamond, started to receive death threats from some anonymous deranged person who would send drawings of the daughter, the interior of the family house, and even drawings of various situations involving Rosamond being kidnapped. So obviously the family took this pretty seriously. They hired armed guards to protect them. They attempted to go into hiding at one point and they even sheltered Rosamond in a glass coffin, which when I read that, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, the what? <laughs> like there's gotta be more to that story, but that was it. They sheltered her in a glass coffin. So I don't know, I guess you gotta use your imagination for that one. Remarkably, remarkable. I don't know why I put this word in my script because I could never say it. Remarkably, this horrible situation actually went on for a few years. Strangely enough, I think a lot of people started to feel bad that they had interfered with this family's like grieving process and forced them to move their daughter's remains. If you ever want to pay your respects to Virginia herself, the Tukin Mausoleum is located in Riverside Cemetery in New York. It's located at the back, more secluded area of a decent sized cemetery. The sizable mausoleum is made of heavy gray stone with a green bell-shaped roof and the surname of the family is on the top of the portal. That door is more of an ornament grate though so you can actually look through it um, into the small area inside and see the stone drawers where like the coffins are slid in and you can read a couple of the name plates including Virginia's you can see it from the outside. The small interior is lighted through a stained glass window in the back that depicts a kneeling angel holding a scroll with the words for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's talking about little children. Oh, that's a sweet verse. After a few years, the threatening letters to the family eventually ceased and Rosamond grew up and married and seemingly was able to compartmentalize that relatively short section of her life over the long run. To this day, the identity of the demented artist remains a mystery and the impressive Tukin Token Mansion still stands in the Franklin Historic District. Although it is a bit spookier these days, the enormous house is 
currently divided into apartments and it's overgrown to the point that it definitely looks a bit more haunted. The mansion is officially known as the Perez House after the builder of the place, but to those who like their history a little bit more eerie, it's still called the Tukin or Token Mansion. So what do you guys think of this one? There's a part of me that feels like everyone should have kind of just left this family alone, but I can also see why people felt like this was unhealthy. At a certain point, you do have to move on. Like, of course, the healthiest thing for the family is to move on and get on with their lives while you're trying to respect the grief. I think what would have been best is if people had been able to step in and help this family move on with their grief. If they had been able to do that without it being like a tabloid story without all the wagging tongues and all of that stuff. Once something like that's out, it's really hard to stop it. So I don't know if anything much different could have been done unless they'd have been able to keep it a secret and not have the whole town find out. And what do you guys think about the weirdo that was sending these letters? So I'm thinking, okay, if this person was sending them like pictures of the inside of their house, then I'm, it had to have been somebody that had been in their house before, right? Like somebody who'd been there, maybe somebody they knew. It's sad to think that somebody they knew would do that, something like that to them. I don't know when this house was built. Maybe it was somebody who was a part of building the house. I don't know. What do you guys think about that one? And also like, what would the motive even be for tormenting this poor family who'd already been through so much. Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. And until next time, check out this episode right here.